Well, good morning. Let me add my word of welcome to you and say even more than normal, it's just great to see everybody this morning. And I know some of you had to walk a long ways to get here, as Paul was saying, maybe swim. I don't know. Maybe you're like me. I came down Capitol Circle this morning and had to detour around that new lake they put in by uh, Centerville Road there. So that was kind of cool. Uh, but I trust that everyone is well, and, um, and man, it was a lot of rain, but um, in the end, not that big a deal. Well, here we are. Um, we're in the, the seventh week of our series, A Letter from Prison. And if you've been with us during the series, you know that we've been reading Paul's letter to the, the church at Ephesus that Paul wrote while he was in prison. Now, we have a a person that's connected to our community that's actually in prison right now and has also been writing us a letter to go along with this series every week. Now, unfortunately, we threw Richard a curveball and he wrote a fantastic letter, except that he, we broke up the chapter and didn't tell him. So he, he wrote a letter that really had to do with what Dan taught last week. Still a great letter. He talked about honoring his father and his mother and his relationship there. And, and we're going to publish that in the e-news this week so you can see it. I'm actually not going to read it this morning, but it's a great letter. So I would encourage you uh, to, to be on the lookout for that. So we're going to dive into the sixth chapter and wrap up uh, this series and uh, this, this passage this morning. But before we do that, I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to watch uh, about a four-minute film clip. So let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for today. Thank you for the truth that's in your word. Thank you for teaching us. I pray, Lord, that our hearts and minds might be open to what you have for us this morning. God, would you just forgive us for failing you? And God, thank you so much for loving us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Watch this clip. Maybe you saw that movie. That, that was Mel Gibson's The Passion of the Christ. And that's very nearly the opening scene of the movie. And I picked it. I know it's a little heavy for a Sunday morning, but I, I picked it deliberately. We know that when Jesus began his ministry, he was tempted. Satan took him out in the wilderness. You remember the story, and Satan tried to get him to, to look at, you know, Satan promised him the world if he would just turn his back on God, his father. And then in the very end of his ministry, Satan attacked him again. This is in the Garden of Gethsemane. And the Bible says that Jesus was under so much anxiety that he, he sweat great drops of blood. Now, we know that when, when, when Christ died on the cross, that he defeated Satan ultimately and finally. But Satan and his minions, if you will, are desperately trying to do anything they can to change that final outcome. They know the end of the story. But they're fighting, they're doing battle with us every day in an effort to change the end of that story. And Paul wraps up his book of Ephesians. We've been on this amazing journey. The first half of Ephesians talked about who we are. And the last half, Paul talks about, now this is what you do. And as Paul is wrapping up the sixth chapter of Ephesians, he's going to give us instructions about how we protect ourselves against the enemy, against Satan. So we'll get into this and we'll go through it. We'll read through these verses and, and go through them together. So chapter 6, verse 10, you have your fridge full, the, words, the, 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 the verses will be on the screen. Paul says in verse 10, a final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Now I want to talk about that verse, but before I do, I have a confession to make. I'm a little bit, um, as a kind of like a TV geek, I guess. 
um, my kids might say. Like, I love Discovery Channel and History Channel and National Geographic and those kind of channels, and I, I don't know why. I just really, I'm, I'm drawn into that stuff. And when they talk, when they do these series on nature and volcanoes and animals, I just think that's way cool. Well, not long ago, National Geographic did a presentation on the Alaskan bull moose. And I thought, well, that's pretty cool. Um, and it talked about the bull moose and how the bull moose, the, the male of the species, they fight every fall over dom dominance for breeding rights. And I thought, well, that's not all that different from us. You know, we, I, it's been a long time since I was in college, but I remember. And, um, you know, so the Alaskan bull moose, he spends all summer eating to get ready for the fall, which I, I also think is pretty cool, spend all summer eating. I'd like to do that. And so as the moose is eating, he is preparing for this big battle that he's going to have in the fall. And what happens is moose, they fight by running together. They're just enormous animals, and they crash those horns together, those antlers. They smack them together, and the, the, the moose that's prepared the best, that's the biggest and has the strongest antlers, is going to gain dominance over that area. And typically they fight, and oftentimes one of the moose will break his horns off. And if a moose has broken horns, at that point he's all but defeated. So in the end, it's the heftiest moose with the strongest horns, the ones that prepared the most, that's going to win the battle. And Paul is telling us in verse 10, you know what, you're facing a battle. You've got to be strong. You've got to be prepared for the battle. The best, the best way to live the effective Christian life is to be prepared. An unprepared believer is a defeated believer. And Paul's trying to tell us right here a final word, which I, I think is encouraging to anybody that thinks this series has gone on too long. A final word. Be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. And what, what Paul is telling us is, is God's strength is always more than sufficient for the battle. This is what Jesus said to the church at Philadelphia in Revelation 3. Jesus said, I know all the things you do, and I have opened a door for you that no one can close. You have little strength, yet you obeyed my word and did not deny me. And what Jesus is reminding us is saying, you know what? If you have just a little bit of my strength, it's going to be enough power for you to prevail. It's important for us to note that, you know, in, in our own strength and in our own wisdom, we're not going to be prepared to do battle with Satan. But in God's strength, even with just a little of it, we have enough to be victorious. And, of course, the, the verse that we can probably all quote, Paul said in Philippians, I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. So Paul wants us to see at the start of this passage, you know what, it's not the amount of strength that matters, but rather it's the source. Verse 11, put on all of God's armor so that you may be able to stand firm against the strategies of the devil. There's several words there that we're going to read several times today. One of the things I think is interesting, we know Paul was in prison as he wrote these words, but more than likely Paul was actually chained to a Roman soldier. And as he was, and he's looking at this guy, he's or guys, he's spending 
who knows how much time with, he's looking at the soldier's armor. And in that, the Holy Spirit has, has given him this analogy of how we're to be protected to live our life. And Paul is going to go through a whole bunch of verses here that he relates to the armor that the Roman soldier wears and talks about how we can be protected. And the first thing Paul tells us to do right here is to put on the armor. Now, the Greek word for that implies permanence. And God was saying through Paul, Paul was telling us, you know what? When you put on this armor, it's not like a uniform when you're running onto a court or onto an athletic field. This armor is something that you put on and you leave on. So Paul's telling us, put on all of God's armor so that you can stand firm. And stand firm when used in a military application had the, had the meaning of, of holding a critical position. So Paul's telling us, you know what? Put on this armor. Stand firm. Hold your ground against all of the strategies of the devil. No other translations of the Bible say schemes of the devil. We know that the devil is all about trickery and all about deception. He wants us to think thoughts that aren't from God, but rather from him. He wants to replace that. So Paul is telling us, you know what? The devil is sneaky. In fact, the word for schemes is the Greek word that, that talks about cunning and deceitful. And Paul's telling us, you know, the devil is very sneaky. And he sneaks around like an animal stalking its prey and then unexpectedly pounces. So we've got to be prepared. Paul's telling us, put on all that armor. Now, verse 12, but we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in heavenly places. One of, one of Satan's most effective strategies is to convince us that no battle is really going on. It's interesting to me in this country, recently George Barna and his research group out in California surveyed a number of Americans, and 62% of Americans said, you know what, Satan's not real, he's just sort of a symbol of evil. And it seems that while our country, a lot of our country believes that, there's also an increased number of activities, an increased amount of folks involved in the occult and satanic worship. I don't see how they go hand in hand. But Paul says we're fighting against, we're struggling against, and some translations say we are wrestling against um, not flesh and blood enemies, but against these powers, these unseen forces. Now in Roman times when there was a wrestling match, it carried some more significance, I think, than our times. I I don't see that much on TV anymore. I used to, and I always kind of thought, come on, you know, it's not real, is it? Now, if somebody's into that, I apologize. Maybe it's totally real, but um, it, it never looked like it to me. But in ancient times, these fights often meant the difference between life and death, life for the winner and death for the loser. And Paul's telling us, you know what, we're wrestling against forces that we can't even see. And then he lists them out for us. He talks about evil rulers and authorities. He talks about mighty powers of this dark world and evil spirits against heavenly places. Now, he doesn't give us a lot of detail about what those mean, but what he wants us to see is, you know what, there's a, there is a hierarchy here, and there's a system in place. There's various rulers and powers and evil spirits, and there's a lot going on that you don't even understand. 
see. But it's not important to focus on every detail that's going on in that hierarchy. The important thing is for us to realize where our power comes from. And Paul wants us to be clear, you know what, this is going on. And that's how important it is for us to plug into God and draw from His strength and His power so that we're prepared to do battle, to wrestle with these evil forces. Verse 13, Paul says, Therefore put on every piece of God's armor so that you'll be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. And then after the battle, you'll, be standing, you'll still be standing firm. Now, our translation, the NLT, says time of evil. Other translation says day of evil. And wouldn't that be nice? Like just one bad day, one day to do battle, then the rest is not bad. But what Paul's talking about here, this time of evil, when sin came into this world through Adam and Eve, when, from the fall, that began a time of evil that's not going away until Christ's return. And the Bible tells us that Satan and all of his minions are going to be banished forever into a bottomless pit in hell. Now They know that, but they're still going to fight every day to, tr- to try to change that outcome. And so Paul has told us, you know what? Every day is going to be a battle for us. But in the meantime, guess what? God gives us, enables us through his power and strength to defeat Satan if we're plugged into him. Now, he's mentioned standing firm a couple of times. And John talked about the importance of standing firm. In, John, uh, in 2 John 8, he said, Watch out that you do not lose what we have worked so hard to achieve. Okay. (laughs) Be diligent. Is that like a bat? Okay. Be diligent so that you receive your full reward. You know what John's telling us? You know what? You've, You've worked hard to get to this point. Now be very, very careful that you don't give in to Satan and lose ground. Now, Paul was concerned about this as well. In fact, one of his greatest fears he talked about in 1 Corinthians. Paul said, 1 Corinthians 9, I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. Now, I think it's easy to kind of think of Paul and some of these other guys we read about in the Bible as like superheroes. If you think, you know, you read stories where Paul's knocking these things out left and right. But even Paul said, you know what? I've got to be careful because I have preached God's word. And I've got to be careful that I don't lose my footing and fall to Satan and then become disqualified. So over and over again in this passage, we're going to see stand firm. Hold your ground. Verse 14, he starts it this way. Stand your ground putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. Now, a Roman soldier always wore a tunic, which was basically a square piece of cloth with holes cut in it for the head and the the arms. I'm thinking like poncho or, you know, something like that. And that was the primary, primary, primarily was their outer clothing. Now, Paul is telling us, you know what? Put on the belt of truth. If a Roman soldier went into battle with a loose, floppy 
tunic or poncho on, it gave the opponent an advantage, something that he could grab a hold to. So as a Roman soldier went into battle, he tucked that tunic into this big, thick leather belt that he wore around his side. And Paul is looking at the soldier next to him, and he's saying, you know what? As we prepare for battle, as we go into battle with Satan and the, and, and, and the enemy, we've got to tuck all this loose stuff in so that we can be prepared to do battle. And then he tosses that belt, the belt of truth. And he calls it truth because he says, you know what? Everything else from this point on is built on the truth of God's Word. So we've got to be wrapped in the truth so that as we do battle, we'll understand what we're up against. Now, putting on the belt of truth was also primarily talking about commitment. You know, it's the, it's the committed athlete that wins the game, the committed soldier that wins the battle. Oftentimes, we, you know, this is the time of year I pick up the paper every day. I love football, so I'm, I'm reading every day about what's going on in the two-a-days and who's hurt and who, you know, all this preparation and all the stuff that's coming up. And it's all exciting to me. This is like my favorite time of year. So um, I've eaten all summer and now I'm ready. <laughs> so, so this, Paul is talking about this belt and he's saying, you know what? It's like being totally committed to the task. So Paul's telling us about the importance of this belt of truth. Then he talks about the body armor, which I think is a cool word. You know, I watch, has anybody, I'll pull over and park for a second. Has anybody seen this new show called Flashpoint? Have y'all seen that? Yeah, I think it's really, really cool. And I'm also like enamored with all the gear, you know, and all the techie stuff. And I think that's pretty neat. And one of the things you always see them do is suit up in this body armor, this bulletproof vest and these other pieces that they have. And Paul's looking at the Roman soldier and he's saying, you know what? No Roman soldier would go into battle without his body armor. Now, the translations of the Bible talk about the breastplate that they put on. And the purpose for that is very, very simple. Just like a bulletproof vest is worn today, it protects the heart, the lungs, the vital organs. It protects those things from injury. And Paul is saying, you know what? Don't go into battle without your body armor. Don't go in without this, this breastplate. No soldier would. Now, in ancient Jewish times, the heart represented the mind and the will, and the bowels were considered the seat of emotions and feelings. Now, I didn't know that, but I understand the picture now because that breastplate protects really our mind and our emotions, and that's what Paul was saying. And he knew the Jewish people would understand that terminology, and he also knew that the two greatest areas that Satan looks to attack are our mind and our emotions. Because he wants to fill our head with wrong ideas, wrong doctrine, wrong truth. And he wants us to say, you know, who, like in our film clip, Jesus, who, who are you really? Who is your father, really? And he wants to distract us from God's truth because he's trying desperately to snatch it away from us. And then he attacks our emotions. And man, sometimes that's easy, right? Struggle through a tough day? Easy to surrender. Have a great day. Easy to surrender. 
Paul knew that we had to protect our mind and our emotions because those are the two areas that Satan quickly attacks. And then Paul starts talking about our feet and how important it is to be prepared, to have our feet prepared to go into battle. He says in verse 15, For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. Now, today we have shoes for like every occasion, right? I can remember when I had, you know, I could count the number of shoes I owned on one hand. And I still almost can. But like, I went in the closet yesterday, and Janice is here, but on my side of the closet, you know, there's a few pairs, more than five. And then I turned around to look on the other side of the closet, and there's like, I, I don't know how many. It would take both hands and feet, and there's a bunch of shoes. And um, I was talking with one of the ladies in the red eye this morning, and she was saying, yeah, I've got four different kinds of Crocs. You know, I love Crocs too, but four, you know, so, so, so we have shoes for every occasion. Ath in athletics, y'all been watching the Olympics, you know, I, everybody but the divers had something on their feet, which I, you know, is, is pretty amazing. And then for sport, a lot of sports, they have multiple pairs of shoes, right? I mean, I don't play tennis. The court's not really big enough for me, so I don't play it. And, but if you play on grass, you might have one pair of shoes or on clay, you might have another pair or on concrete, a different pair. So we have shoes for every single occasion. And Paul is telling us, you know what? When you get ready to go into battle, you've got to have your shoes on, and they've got to be right. A year or so ago, I had a chance to hear John Wooden, and you might uh, hear John Wooden speak, and you might recognize that name. He is a retired basketball coach, and he coached, was the head coach of the UCLA Bruins. And they had an amazing run. UCLA won 10 national championships in 12 years. They had a string of 88 straight victories and four perfect seasons. So when he came to speak about leadership, I wanted to hear what he had to say. And I was really amazed at one of the first things he said to us. He said, you know what? Every year when we recruit these athletes and they come in and they begin to train, he said, you know what the first lesson I give them is? He said, I take them in the locker room we sit down on the bench, and he said, I teach them how to put on their shoes and their socks. And I'm thinking, you know, that's amazing. You've won gazillions of basketball games, all these national titles, and you started with putting on your shoes and socks. He said, you know why? Most people don't do it right. You know how socks have that little seam? And if you don't get them quite right on your toes, I mean, it can be uncomfortable. Now, if you and I put on our socks to come to church for a couple of hours, go home, take it off, we might not notice it. But if we were physically exerting ourselves, running up and down the basketball court, or even more importantly, fighting for our lives in a battle, a pair of crooked socks or a pair of shoes or boots that don't quite fit right might be the difference between winning in basketball or losing our life in a battle. Because a soldier with blisters on his feet and swollen feet and cut feet sitting on his backside because he can't stand isn't going to be a very effective in the battle. And so Paul says to us, you know what? You've got to have your feet prepared. So put on the shoes. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news. What good news? Well, the good news that we have in Christ. And the peace that comes from the good news is the marvelous truth we have that if we have become believers, if we're on this journey to becoming fully devoted followers of Christ, then we can stand at peace before God. 
And Paul's telling us, you know what? For your shoes, put on that peace. And just know that you're secure. Verse 16. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Now, Roman soldiers use several kinds of shields. The one Paul is talking about here is generally one that was about two and a half feet wide and about four, four and a half feet tall. And these shields, these, these men would go into battle and they would form an immense wall, sometimes as long as a mile or further. And they would stand side to side with these, these, these shields. Now, one lady, Paula, pulled me aside this morning. I don't know if you're still here, Paula. And she gave me some insight that I didn't know. And she said, hey, Steve, you know what? Those shields actually locked together. So they were made when these guys got side by side that they could actually lock these shields together. And they formed this amazing wall. And then behind the wall were the archers. And they could fire arrows back there. And the thought was that if you're behind the shield, you're protected. And the shields were made of solid wood. They usually had metal on the front. Or they might have been wrapped in a thick leather that had been soaked in water. And the reason it was soaked was to protect from the fiery arrows that are fired from the opponent. And Paul, seeing battle and knowing battle, used that as an analogy to talk about what Satan does to us. You see, in battle times, these arrows were wrapped with cloth that had been soaked in pitch. And just before the archers pulled them back and fired them, they were lit. And when that arrow traveled across and it struck, not only did it sometimes enter the body, which was the goal, but even if it didn't, wherever it made an impact, that cloth would spread out and bits of flaming material would land on the enemy and on their gear and it would burn up their clothes and create serious burns. And Paul is using this as a picture to tell us, you know what, you've got to be prepared because Satan is always going to be firing these fiery, these fiery arrows at you. And the only, reason you're, the only way you're going to be able to stand up to that kind of attack is if you've got the shield of faith. And Paul's talking about our faith in Christ and our faith in God and using that faith to protect us. Now, we all go through life, every person goes through life with some type of faith, right? I mean, we drive over bridges that we trust are going to hold us. We ride roller coasters for some reason because we think they're safe. We put our, we put our faith in cars and planes and but this isn't the kind of faith Paul is talking about. Because every now and then, faith in those objects fails. We've all seen those stories. But Paul is talking about put your faith in the one that never fails. And Paul's telling us the only way we're going to be protected from those fiery arrows is if we're behind that shield of faith. Verse 18. Sorry, verse 17. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, the fifth piece of armor that Paul's talking about is the helmet. And no Roman soldier would go onto the battlefield without his helmet. Obviously, it protects pretty important parts. Now, the reason that they needed a lot of protection on their head was that cavalry, these, these men on horses, would come by with what they called a broadsword which was a double-edged sword, pretty good-sized sword. And as they rode through the crowd, they would swing at the head. And Paul's saying, you know what? Without a helmet to deflect that blow, you're done. And even sometimes with a helmet, you took a fatal blow. So 
But Paul is talking about, you know what? Our salvation is like a helmet. Our salvation is what protects us ultimately from what Satan is trying to do. Now again, once we are in Christ and we've accepted Christ, we know that our salvation is secure. But Paul is talking about Satan's going to be swinging at us. And what he desperately wants to do is bang us in the head a few times and make us feel, think that we haven't been saved. So Paul's telling us, you know what, you better put on that helmet to be safe. And then he's also talking about taking up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, this is a sword that Roman foot soldiers carried. It was usually 6 to 18 inches long, and it was a pretty precise weapon. Just, just, like, just like the shield, it could be used for defense or offense, but unlike the shield, it was pretty precise. And you, you know, you're doing something with a six-inch blade, which I'd, I'd probably want the 18 one myself, but you're trying to protect yourself. You're going to be protecting, you're going to have to be pretty good with it. And Paul's saying, you know what? The Word of God, God's Word, we can use that offensively or defensively, but we can't use it at all if we don't know it. And that's why the sword was talked about in being a precise instrument. It takes some skill to be able to use the sword, the Word of God. When Satan was attacking Jesus in the wilderness, he used the exact Scripture to counteract what Satan was throwing at him every time. And again in the garden. And Paul's saying, you know what? You've got to be skillful with the Word of God because it's like a six-inch dagger. And it's there for you to protect yourself and also, well, to protect yourself. So Paul's telling us we've got to be skillful with that thing. This is what Hebrews says about the sword, about the Word of God. It says, The Word of God is alive and powerful. It's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between the soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes the innermost thoughts and desires. So the sword can be offensive, it can be defensive. But we've got to know the Word of God to be able to effectively use it. And then in verse 18, Paul is wrapping up his letter and he says, Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. Now, prayer is the closing theme in Ephesians. And I, I don't think there's any accident by that. I, it goes without saying, but... Paul didn't relate prayer as a piece of armor because it was really much more than that. Prayer is the environment in which the soldier operates. And he says, you know what? You and I, as we do battle, as we're fully dressed in our armor, we've also got to be in prayer on every occasion. Prayer is the air, if you will, that the soldier breathes. It's that important that everything we're doing because we can be fully suited up and not fully ready for the battle if we're not in communication with God. So Paul talks about being in prayer at all times and for all believers everywhere. And then in verse 19, he says, And pray for me too. Ask God to get me out of this. I'm amazed by this passage because I'm thinking if I'm in prison and I'm chained to another man, 
I'm going to say, get me out of here. Y'all be praying for me that God will do something and, and get me out of here. But look at what Paul says. Paul says, pray for me too. Ask God to give me the right words so I can boldly explain God's mysterious plan that the good news is for the Jews and the Gentiles alike. Paul, even in prison, was doing his thing. And I think it's cool. Verse 20, he says, I'm in chains now, still preaching this message as God's ambassador. So pray that I should keep on speaking boldly for him as I should. And to bring you up to date, Tyesius, or Ty, Ty, I'm going to call him Ty, how's that? <laughs> Ty will give you a full report about what I'm doing and how I'm getting along. He is a beloved brother and faithful helper in the Lord's work. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, to let you know how we are doing and to encourage you. Paul's simply saying, here's a guy I trust. He's been traveling with me. We know from other accounts in the Bible that they were together. Paul had chosen him and sent him on many missions, and he hand-delivered this letter to the church. And then as that delivery person, he was also able to give more news to the church, more than it was in the letter. And so Paul's saying, hey, I'm sending this guy to you. And then he closes out this entire letter. And I can't think of a better way to close it than this. As a benediction, Paul says, Peace to you, dear brothers and sisters. And may God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you love and faithfulness. May God's grace be eternally upon you, all who love our Lord Jesus Christ. Now Paul spent half the letter saying, You know what? This is who you are. He spent the back half saying, now this is what you do. And as he closed out the letter, he said, you know what? You're going to be in a battle every day of your life. The good news is, even if you live a long life, it's just a split second when it comes to eternity. And Paul's telling us, this is how you've got to protect yourself. Put on all this armor. Put this belt of truth on. Protect your salvation with the helmet. Don't forget about these vital organs because Satan is coming after your mind and your emotions. And get the shield up to defend yourself. And grab that sword. You've got to know God's word if you're going to defeat the devil. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you for loving us and taking such good care of us. Father, as we roll out of bed every morning, I don't have to tell anybody here that we're very aware of the battle. The scary thing, God, is we don't always see it. In fact, we almost never do. We can see the symptoms. We can see the results. We see a hurting world and nations that are at war and homes that are wrecked. We see divorce. We see abuse. We see all of the scars of this bloody battle. And God, you have encouraged us today by telling us, you know what, we can, we can be prepared for that battle. We've got to put on our armor and leave it on and stay plugged into the power source, which is you. Father, thank you so much for loving us. We give you this day in Christ's name.